pray you're all doing well, huh, with that kind of worship. Uh, and I uh, pray you'll, we've got kind of a serious message this morning. Pray that you'll really listen to it all. I'm sure at points it'll upset you, but that's okay. Remember, it's not about me. It's about what the scripture is saying. And above all, the goal here is to see you win. And I want you to understand that, to see you win. And so it's going to be a serious topic, but we'll start off with a little humor. President Calvin Coolidge, Skip, you can put up his picture. He's the president, or the 30th president of the United States. And if you know anything about Coolidge, he was known as a man of few words. For example, um, you know, one night there was a party actually being held in his honor, and this young woman came up, and she was kind of gushing over him and whatnot. She said, oh, it's so wonderful to see you, President Coolidge. And I just want you to know, though, that I've had a wager with a friend of mine that I can persuade you to say more than two words. Could you? And uh, without missing a beat, Coolidge said, you lose. (laughs) On another occasion, Coolidge went to church. He was a churchgoer. His wife was unable to go with him on that particular Sunday morning because she was ill. And so when Coolidge got home, she said, well, uh, you know, Calvin, what, what did the preacher speak on? And he said rather tersely, sin. Well, she said, that's wonderful, Calvin, but what did he say about sin? And, And Coolidge, without changing any facial expression, said, he's against it. That was Coolidge. And, you know, um, the book of Proverbs actually says that a wise person uses few words. So, men, you might want to use that with your wife. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, I'm starting out bad this morning, aren't I? Wise person uses few words. And, you know, we, we, we do want our leaders wise. But what else are we looking for when we're looking for leaders? And as we continue our study in the book of Philippians, that's exactly what Paul's going to be addressing this morning. What is a true leader? What, what, what should we see in a true leader? So I've entitled the message, A True Leader. Lord, I just thank you for what's transpired up to this point. I thank you for everyone here. I know that you brought them. For those that are new, I pray that they would experience not man, but they've already experienced you, the precious Holy Spirit. There's nothing like being in the presence of the Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I pray that you'll even become stronger now as we look at your word. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head and that I truly would speak your words this morning, your important message on leadership. And so I just thank you for what you're going to do now and accomplish, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what Paul wants to talk to us this morning. It's about leadership. So kind of longer verses than normal, but let these verses speak to you. Skip, can you put these verses up? Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit, that he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others only care for themselves and are not for what really matters or they do not care what matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. 
I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and also me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see me. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his very life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Now, in these two men, Timothy and Titus, and I know it's a little lengthy, but, but we could talk a lot about marks of leadership. And that's what I want to talk about. In these men, we see tremendous marks of leadership. And by the way, they, they were not only disciples of Paul, they, they were clergy, pastors, men of the cloth. And in these guys, I just want to look at three marks. We could look at more, but I want to see three marks of true godly leadership. So let's, let's unpack those marks. Let's look at mark number one. Philippians chapter two and verse 20. Paul says this about Timothy. Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Interesting terminology. Genuinely would be a key word there. Probably a better translation might be sincerely. Who sincerely cares about your welfare. You know, interestingly enough, the Greek word that Paul uses there means without wax. Now that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but he's saying that Timothy is or was without wax. 2,000 years ago, that meant a whole lot. 2,000 years ago, they had businessmen who were kind of devious and had devious business practices. I guess nothing changes, huh? We're talking about here pottery dealers, pottery makers, and they would make mistakes and they would have defects in their product. And can you believe this? They were actually covering up the defects. And, uh, you know, major no-no, but that's what they were doing. And see, I I guess in the baking process uh, of, of, you know, making pottery, uh, you can make mistakes there. And if you make a mistake in in the baking process, you get this, get put it up. You get cracks. And that gets expensive, you know, for these guys. Clay wasn't cheap back 2,000 years ago. So you know what these guys would do? They would take this special wax and they would put it over you know, the crack there, and it would cover up the crack so that you couldn't see it. And then you and I, the unsuspecting customer, you know, we'd go into their pottery shop and we'd want a nice bowl or we'd want a nice cup and we'd say, whoa, that looks awesome. And we would pay good money for it. We would bring it home. And, you know, after about a week or so or two weeks, guess what happens to that wax? Kind of dries and cracks. And one day you're having your bowl of cereal and pretty soon you notice your bowl of cereal's on the table. Because it's leaking, it's leaking, it's defective. In fact, so, listen to this now, this, this blew me away. So pervasive was this practice 2,000 years ago that the Roman Senate actually passed a law that said all pottery and all marble purchased by the government of Rome must be sincera. That's where we get sincerely from, sincera, without wax, Without wax. So now it means something. He's saying to these people in Philippi, I've got, I've got an incredible leader here because he's without wax. 
Timothy's the genuine article. He is the real deal. He's not like the psychologist or psychiatrist that you go to. You know, you, you, know, you see him for 40 minutes, 50 minutes, plunk down what? $8,500? $8, and after the visit, doesn't think about you much more you know, until you come back the next week, and guess what? You have to plunk down $85, $100. I'm not saying that's true of them all, but they don't really think about you after until they get your money, and then, you know, they forget about you. Timothy wasn't like that. He's also saying Timothy isn't like the average preacher. Now, I'm going to get after preachers, so it's really going to, you know, I'm really going to go after myself this morning. He said he's not like the average preacher who preaches, you know, 30, 40 minutes, preaches his message, then he takes the collection. You know a lot of preachers take the collection after the message, you know? And, uh, he, and, and then after they get the money, guess what? They don't remember you until the next week, until you come back and you put some money back in, and, and that's pretty much the interaction. He said, Timothy is in that way. Timothy really cares about you. He's not interested in separating you from your money. Timothy actually genuinely cares about you. He's not here to try to con you to build up his ministry. He says, Timothy is sincere. He thinks about you. He prays about you during the week. Wouldn't it be great to have a shepherd that honestly is thinking and praying for you? He weeps with you when you weep. He's happy with you when you're happy. And he's so happy, by the way, he knows you well enough. It just does his heart so, so, so much joy is in his heart when he sees that you're victorious. And, 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 you know, you're riding above the circumstances. And you're living life victoriously. You see, Timothy's the genuine article because his goal wasn't for you to build his little empire. His goal was for the people of Philippi, the people that he ministered to, for them to be successful. And on Judgment Day, Skip put it up, every one of us will have a Judgment Day where we will stand before. There he is, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that moment? And Timothy, see, Timothy realized that ultimately he was going to be evaluated by him. Not you, him. And he wanted you to hear. He wanted everyone in Philippi to hear from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the judge of all judges, well done. You did well. You ran the race well. And I pray with everything that I have, I want you to know, I pray with everything that I have, my whole goal, because I know ultimately that I am going to be evaluated not by you. I will be evaluated by him. And his evaluation is, is how well did you guys do? How well did you do? How well did you run that race? And my prayer, really, everything in me wants to see you win and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. All right. We will need to move on to the third or second uh, mark of a true godly leader. Can you put up Philippians 2.21, Skip? Philippians 2.21. Now we're going to get deep. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters, you know, to Jesus Christ. Now, you know, the, 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 key, the key here is obviously this is the flip side of verse 20, but who are these others? That, that's what intrigued me. Who are these others? You know who these others are? Remember, Paul is in Rome when he wrote to the Philippians, and he's not staying at the Hilton in Rome. He's not poolside sucking on mint tulips and martinis. This guy's in prison. No, he's in prison. He's in jail. And these others, I hate to say it, they, they are other, pa- get this, they are other pastors and shepherds in Rome. And they're not willing to go visit him. No, no, 
they're not willing to go visit Paul in prison. You know why? <laughs> not only do they not care, but what? They were worried that they'd end up in prison. Oh, ouch. No, ouch. They are concerned that they're going to end up in prison. In fact, do you remember what it said in Philippians chapter 1? It said in Philippians chapter 1 that some of these pastors, some of these shepherds, all right, in Rome were taking advantage of the situation. They see Paul in Rome. He's languishing in chains. And they said, look at Paul. He can't be. Come on. There's no way he's really an apostle. He's not the real deal. If he was really the genuine article, the real deal, he wouldn't be there suffering in prison. He doesn't have God's stamp of approval, but look at us. We're outside here. Our ministries are flourishing. Money's coming in. People are coming in. We're the real deal. Oh, no, no. That was happening. That was happening. That hurts. That hurts if you're a preacher. And you know what? Timothy's the real deal, though. Guess Guess who was standing next to Paul? Timothy. You know how you have a real friend? You know who your real friends are? When the chips are down. Boy, you suddenly find out who your real friends are. When the chips are down, you find out who they really are. But Paul really gets after them. It's the last part that's devastating if you're a pastor. He said that these guys in Rome, these self-seeking, really false shepherds, they don't care about what matters to Jesus Christ. That's an interesting, interesting thought. Have you ever wondered, what does the average pastor do during the week? See? <laughs> now, see, now the standard joke is, of course, this is it. Right here, I'm working my half day, right? I'm working my half day right now. And then you're, you're basically clueless what I'm doing the rest of the week, right? For all you know, I'm doing something spiritual like contemplating my navel. You don't know. I could be up on the roof there smoking peyote or something. I, you, you, you're, you're clueless. No, and that's a tragedy. I, I, you know, it, it sounds funny, but it's an absolute tragedy. Because, you know, what does really matter? Well, let me tell you what matters. I'll give you the pastor's job description. Watch this. Peter gives it to us. He, he was an elder. He was a shepherd. First Peter chapter 5. Do you have that, Skip? Technology is a beautiful thing. And now a word to you who are elders here. There's shepherds in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal. Now watch this. I appeal to you elders. Underline that word care for the flock. Care. Oh, that that, that baby's loaded. That the that God has entrusted to you, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. There it is again. But lead them by your own good, own good. Well, if you're only seeing the preacher on Sunday morning, what kind of example is he giving you? And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. You know, as I was reading that, the two key words are care. So a true shepherd cares about you, genuinely involved in your life, and he's an example. And I was just thinking of that. When you think of the average preacher today, bigger churches, do you get a picture of that? Do you see that? 
Just, just nod if you're with me, all right? It's going to get fun now. Skip, put up Ed Young Jr. Ed Young Jr., uh, uh, you know, he, he, he's one of the relevant preachers today. He's Southern Baptist. By the way, I'm ordained Southern Baptist. I actually knew Ed Young Jr., all right? He, he graduated from Southwestern Seminary. And uh, interesting guy, Ed Young Sr. was the pastor of Second Baptist in Houston. Just, you know, really a straight, straight guy. This is his son. Flagship church, the church is about, it's in Dallas, Fellowship Church, about 25,000. And, 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 and so I'm just going to tell you what Ed, Ed, Ed you know, again, this is, this is the buckle of the Bible Belt, Fellowship Church, Dallas. And, and Ed likes to take selfies, okay? And th- this is the modern day preacher, and he likes to dye his hair. He, he freely admits that. In fact, he takes selfies of him dyeing his hair, gelling his hair. Um, he, he likes crest white strips. Crest white shirt, the skinny jeans. I was thinking about going with the skinny pants. What are you laughing at? Skinny pants. No, that's cool. That's relevant. You haven't seen my tattoos yet, have you? Tattoos, tattoos. And, and, and by the way, above all, above all, we do, not, we do not actually preach letter by letter because you can't handle that. Your attention spans aren't that long. We only give you mini-series, you know, four-week series, five-week series. This was actually a series Ed preached uh, a couple of years ago called Sextember. Sextember, this is, you know, this, this is a September to remember. I'm sure they did remember it. And, and obviously, he's talking about marriage here. He's talking about marriage. And what Ed did, Skip, can you put up the next picture? This is true. This is, in the, this is the picture in the Dallas Morning News. This is Ed with his wife. They put their bed and some of their bedroom equipment on the roof of the church. And they were being interviewed by various television, and they were doing what husbands and wives do, all right? So I don't want to get into it. This is true. You can just check this out. And I'll save you from having to listen to the series. Okay, you know what the upshot, if you want a good marriage, you know what the upshot, this is according to Ed Young Jr., Southern Baptist flagship pastor. What is absolutely essential if you're going to have a wonderful marriage? Uh, (laughs) That's right, sex. All you need to do is to have sex Every day for seven days, and you're good to go. Uh, <laughs> where's the church? Exactly. And no, no, can you imagine if, if, if I know where you're going? And I notice your wife isn't next to you either. All right, so, all right, so, all right, all right. But, you know, no, can, <laughs> can you imagine? Peter, 2,000 years ago, and he's living now, and he sees this. And do you think he had in mind some guy with dyed hair who's got skinny jeans on or whatever he's got on, tattoos, he's relevant, and he's cool, and he entertains you? Is that what he had in mind? See, I, I don't think he had in mind. No, no. Here's what he really had in mind. Paul and Peter worked together. Can you put up what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter? Here's here's what it really means to care for you. Put it up. Do you have Ephesians chapter 4? Don't have that skip? Well, we'll do a little Bible drill here. If you've got your owner's manual, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says this. I'm sure Skip will get it up in time. Here we go. So Christ gave himself... And he, now watch this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now what, verse 12 is critical. 
to equip, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all of us reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The key word there is equip. So what he's saying is, is that my job, what Paul is saying is it's not about me. If I'm really doing my job successfully, I'm going to equip you to do the work of the ministry so that you can hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't have a lot of time this morning, but let me give you two key areas. If a shepherd or a pastor is really doing his job, here's two areas that I am to equip you in. The first area is this. The first area, if you are born again, so we're going to assume here, Assume here that you're born again. You've really placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. By the way, this service is meant for you, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But my job is to help you to become like Jesus. Do you know that's the goal of the Christian life? Romans 8, 29, we don't have time to look at all these, but the whole goal of the Christian life is for you to look like Jesus. So if you want to hear well done, good and faithful, I don't care what anybody else there says. If you want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, you must look like Jesus. That's my job though. That's the job of the elders here and the shepherds to help you look like Jesus. I had a professor, Howard Hendricks. He used to say, gentlemen, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. It's a supernatural life. So you're not going to do this in the flesh. And you know what my chief job, do you know if you're really going to grow and look like Jesus, you know what's absolutely essential? If it's supernatural, you need the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, gymnastics, whatever you think is going to get it through there, the the key, you, you can look in the scriptures yourself. Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, if you want to follow me, if you want to be like me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily. You must die daily. See, what's not even preached anymore in the church or taught or even practiced by preachers is, see, I got to teach you how to die. No, no. Now, Now you want to sign up, don't you? My job is to teach you how to die so that you can live. No, no. See, we think, well, that's so negative. No, I've heard that, 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 that. Negative, 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 and I want to walk out, and I want to be uplifted up. I want to be just feeling good. I'm trying to help you feel good. You can't be full of yourself and be full of the Holy Spirit. But see, if you learn how to die, no, no. See, this is the hardest thing. For, I'm, I'm going to tell you, work out your salvation. Work out dying daily. And so every day i got to lay it on the line. And see, as I die, and John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. And as I die, the Holy Spirit takes control of me. And then I'm moving in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You're living. Oh, now, now that's living. When you're filled, oh, you are living. And at least it's the second thing that I'm to help you do. So that's hard to do. We're going to work at this. I'm I'm going to keep challenging you because I want you to be successful. In your small groups, you need to be successful. The more you die, when the Holy Spirit's on, it's a good day. And the next thing that I need to equip you to do is to be able to share your faith. Our job is to be a witness. Did you know that? By the way, where's the playing field? Out there. See, this is the locker room. We're just having a chalk talk right now. You liking the chalk talk so far? So this, is the, this is like a chalk talk. The game is out there. 
okay? And we're to be impacting, they're going, they're dying, they're going to hell. And we're supposed to, and, and by the way, it's not the preacher's job. Well, what do you, what, you know, a lot of people, well, what are they paying you for, preacher? You, we bring them, you save them. Ding, no, no, no. See, that's robbing you. No, that's not my job. It's your job. I'm to equip you, but don't ever let a preacher rob you of the, one of the greatest privileges of, life, of leading someone to Jesus Christ. Whoa! Uh, no, no, that is exciting. That is eternal. Do not let a preacher or a pastor rob you. If they're not equipping you to do that, they're not doing their, their job whatsoever. In fact, it says this in, in, in uh, 1 Peter 3.15. Skip, can you put that up? Look what he says. He says this. It doesn't say anything. We don't have 1 Peter 3.15 either. 1 Peter 3, do not lord over those assigned to your kids. No, no. 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says, be ready, be ready to share the hope that is within you. Be ready to share the hope that is within you. You know what that means? That's, that, that, that means that, you know, at the very least, people should be asking you and you and you and me, what are you smoking? What are you on? No, why are you so different? Why are you so different from me? In fact, remember what it said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15? Skip, can you put that up? Here's what he says about the world. He says that the world, he says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Look how he's describing the, the world. He says, first of all, that the, that the world is, uh, you know, that they are depraved. You know what that means? Morally corrupt. Do you know, do you know what the average person out there is looking for? I remember before I got saved. Weekend! Party! Right? It's all about the flesh. The vast majority of people out there are hedonists. They just are looking for a way, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's entertainment, whatever. They're doing anything that will help their flesh feel good. And that's what they're doing. I mean, it's a shame. I mean, that's why we got so many people right now on pain medications. Do you know that? Just helps them feel good. It's all about feeling good. And, and, and that describes the world. So he says, that's part of the world. They're depraved. But he also says, the world we live in is crooked. You know what that means? It means they're full of liars. It means probably the person out there that you're going to be talking to is a liar. They like gossip. Does that just, so, so the world's full of hedonists. They just want pleasure. They're looking for whatever. It's going to just give them that emotional jolt, make their, their flesh feel good. And then they just are constantly lying. And they love gossip. Think Facebook. Ooh. Facebook's not a good place. Not, not, not a good place. If, if, if you're looking, by the way, to become depressed, then just keep reading Facebook. Facebook's designed to make you envious so that you're depressed about your life. Did you know that? They've done studies. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. And, but see, we're supposed to be different. Remember, we're, we're, we're supposed to be blazing stars. We're not, we're not going to be these little pen lights. We're to be bla- we're, so, we're supposed to be so radically different than the world that they're asking us, why? Why are you so different? Why do you have love? 
Why do you have joy? Why do you have peace? Why do you have content? Why do you have a sense of purpose? And it's awesome when someone does that. Oh, you know that you're being successful when someone comes up to you and says, you're different. I want to know what you got. All right, we got to move it on. Peter, though, so, so, we're, so my job is not only to equip you. To, that is, that's how I care for you, by the way. If I really care about you, I will take the time to help really equip you so that you can be successful. But he also says that there to be an example. Can you put up 5-3? Uh, there it is. Don't lord it over the, Now watch this over the care, but lead them by your own good example. Example. Now, you know, that means you've got to see me. You know, Jesus to the disciples, he didn't say, hey guys, what I want you to do is I want you to come and listen to several lectures of mine, then you can go home and watch the boob tube or zombie tube. He didn't say that. What did he say to them? Come and follow me. Do you see what Jesus did? He showed these guys how the Christian life was to be lived. No, he showed, one-fourth of his time was teaching, three-fourths of his time was modeling how you do it. Do you know know what you parents are doing? How many parents here actually think your kids are listening to you? Newsflash, not. But they are watching you. Oh, no, no, they are watching you. They will copy you. And by the way, all the mistakes that you have, you know, the defects, they'll magnify them 10%, tenfold. Ouch. I had three girls. It's painful sometimes to watch that. We're to be an example. We're to show you. You know, you know what's so tragic? I deal with men a lot. Most men, you know, because of the culture we live in, have grown up in broken homes, didn't have a father, had a lousy example. They have no idea what it means to be a husband. They have no idea how to be a godly husband, a godly father. They have no idea, you know, how, what it means to be a godly businessman. And hearing a lecture isn't going to do it. You need to see examples. I need to see examples of how to do it. And we're, we're, we're radically failing. But I want you to know that we're committed at this church. That's why we're big on discipleship. That's why you see me spending so much time discipling men. And then they're going to go out and disciple You deserve to have someone show you how do I do this thing. That's what a good shepherd does. All right, thirdly, we got to move it on. Thirdly, Paul says this. Can you put it up? We're going to look at Epaphrodites. This this is the third mark of a leader. Put up those scriptures in Philippians. Skip, can you? Philippians chapter, there it is. Watch this. Not that I've already obtained, no, no, not that. Philippians, back to two, doesn't have that. There we go. There he is, look at it. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. He was your messenger to help me in my time of need. Now what? put up the next set. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he was certainly ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. And, when, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. Now watch this. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. The third mark of a true leader, a true Christian leader, 
is that they are willing to lay their life on the line for Jesus Christ. They will die for the cause of Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus almost did that. Epaphroditus almost did that. You know, let me ask you this question. When is a person free? When is a person truly free? When they're a slave? When they've laid their life and, 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 and given their life completely and totally over to Jesus. You're going to be the freest. When, in other words, when you wake up and you say in the morning, this is part of dying, Lord, here's my life. Here's me. I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my desires. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm giving you everything. I die to that. I die. And, and you're completely in charge of my life, my possessions, my job, everything. You know what? It, it's a wonderful day when you do that. You know why? Because you won't live in fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety robs you of your life. No, and that's where most people, are you married to a control freak? I'll tell you why you're married to a control freak. Because, see, they have some expectations that they want to see happen in their own life. And so they got to control their environment. Horrible people to live around. But most of us are control freaks. But it's the beauty of this system is when you give everything over to Jesus Christ, see, it becomes his responsibility. No, think about this. When you completely give your life, all of your possessions, your job entirely, say, here it is, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. There's such freedom. No more anxiety. I don't have to control anything. No more fear. See, it's Jesus' responsibility. Let, Let me show you the beauty of this thing. Skip, can you put up the picture? That's Betty. That's Susan's car. That's, that's, we, we call her Betty. I've completely dedicated her to the Lord. Now, the, the beauty of this thing is, no, no, the beauty of this thing really is this. I really, I, I've come to appreciate Betty. Because, you know, I, I hop in, I, I don't worry about, hey, say, I say, Jesus, this is your car. This is your car. And so, you know what? Someone puts a ding in my door. I say, ah, no problem. Don't worry about that. Not a big deal at all. Don't worry about it. I hear a squeak in the brakes. I don't worry about that either. I mean, this is, this is God's car. It's his responsibility. I mean, this is the beauty. There's such freedom when I'm driving Betty. Now, when I drive the Black Knight, not so much. No. <laughs> but I think you all know what I'm talking about. Now, see, I wanted to give you a feel for When you turn everything over, you really begin to enjoy. You really begin to enjoy your life. Now, you want, what's that? <laughs> more and more, she's making me drive, Betty. Thank you. But listen to this as we finish here. Skip, go back to the first picture. You know, we are Betty. No, not that one. We are Betty. We're messed up. See, you know what the sad thing is? We've been kind into believing that we're something fantastic, or our lives are something to hold on to. It's a lie. We're really Betty. And when you really get that you're just messed up and your life, at the end of the day, you're going to die and it doesn't matter, and you really give it over, I want to change the metaphor. You know what Jesus is in the business of doing? He's in the business of taking a manure pile and making it into a marble statue. Now, Jesus is in the business of taking a manure pile and he can make it into a marble statue if you let him, if I let him. And so my challenge is simply this. My challenge is going to be out of Revelation, the book of Revelation. You know, I love the book of Revelation. No denying it. 
And, and, and what makes Revelation so fantastic is, you know, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. You know what the book of Revelation's about? Jesus wins. Jesus wins and everyone who follows him wins. Everyone who follows him wins. And you know what the, the battle cry of the early church was? Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to give it up and die for Jesus. See, when you understand the power of the blood, Paul wrote this. Can you put that back up now? Skip Philippians, just real quick. Philippians chapter 3. You know, Paul said, I don't look back. Do you know what the key is to living victoriously? The key to, not that one, Philippians chapter 3, 15. The key to living victoriously is not to look back. Do you know how many people just look in the past? They're in the past. It will kill you. And Paul says, I don't live in the past. I look forward. I stretch forward. You can read that in Philippians chapter 3. Too many of us are living under guilt of past failures. Paul didn't live under his past failures. Too many of us are living under guilt. Too many of us are living under Satan's accusations. He says, I don't live in the past. I look forward. Secondly, they had a testimony. Do you know that Timothy, Titus, Paphroditus, all of them, all of the early believers, you know the, 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 they had a testimony. You know what their testimony was? Anybody know what their testimony was? It was 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. They actually knew and were experiencing the incredible grace of God. Grace, by the way, isn't tolerance and letting you wallow in in defeat. They were experiencing, as they were going through situation, they were going through persecution, they knew the power, the grace of God, and they were experiencing victory. They weren't living in their pain. They weren't living in their past. They had come to a point where their testimony could be, I know that Jesus lives, and I know that there's a Holy Spirit, and I know that there's a real power that I can live in victory today, and I don't have to live in defeat. That was their testimony. That was the testimony of the early church. And I'm sorry if if I haven't helped you get there. No, I apologize from the bottom of my heart. Because that should be our testimony. That I know, I'm, I'm, I, I am so alive with the Holy Spirit. I'm experiencing tangibly as great. I don't live in depression anymore. I don't live in defeat. I don't live in strongholds. And finally, they were victorious over Satan. Because it says, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. And going back to Betty, when you're afraid to die, when, when you give it up, When you give up your life, then you begin to really live in freedom. No more fear, no more anxiety. When you really give it up, that's the challenge. Lord, I just pray. I know we covered a lot of ground this morning. I just really pray that we'll allow this to speak to us. You want our lives to be full of color and not black and white. You want us, Lord, to have a life of purpose and meaning and not just going from one fleshly activity to another fleshly activity to another fleshly activity. And at the end, we just see that we've wasted our lives and there's no vibrancy. Our relationships are terrible because we've lived in fear and anxiety and in control. And I'm praying 
as we sing this last song, Holy Spirit, that you will just be moving on people and helping each one of them to make that decision that they really want to be discipled and they really want to be set free. They want to move in the power of the Holy Spirit and they want to be victorious. They want to experience the power of the blood. They want to experience, they want to have that testimony that your grace is sufficient for every situation that they find themselves in. They want to experience so much grace that they say, here, Jesus, I'm no longer afraid to die. Here's my life. You take it. And now let me live. I pray this for each and every person. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.